All right, church family, and um, I'm grateful to be able to be here this morning in order to just get, dive into God's Word together. And uh, again, just continue to pray for Pastor Tim and Nancy as they're out. And uh, you know, it, it actually, it takes a lot of trust to bring your youth pastor up here to preach whenever you're gone. We have a little bit of a reputation. And so I am grateful for this opportunity to just dive into God's Word together. And, uh, but the good thing is that I think we got a pretty encouraging uh, message from today. In fact, uh, I'd say that every one of us, we need a little bit of encouragement every once in a while. Um, it was just a little while ago. My, my wife, Laura, uh, we've been married for about five years now. And um, there was a moment I was in the bathroom. It was a little while ago now. And uh, I was just looking in the mirror. And you know how it is. You just look at it and you're like, what happened? I've got this belly that's going on now. And I'm telling this to my wife who's in the other room. I've got these gray hairs that's coming in. And I've got uh, these sunken eyes. And man, it's not what it used to be. And uh, I said, Laura, I just, I need some encouragement. Maybe can you tell me something positive? She looked at me, my wife of five years, the mother of my children, she says, well, your eyesight's about perfect. And I was like, oh, that hurts. Like that was not the encouragement that I was looking for. In fact, um, it was, it's doubly bad because uh, my eyesight's actually terrible. I wear contacts so I can see something in front of my face. And so nothing was really good at that moment. But the truth is, is that we, uh, all jokes aside, we all need to, to be encouraged and uh, understand uh, that um, God has some amazing things in plan for us every once in a while. In fact, I read somewhere that psychologists tells us it takes seven positive words of affirmation to, to compensate for one negative criticism. I don't know how accurate that is, but I would say it's pretty accurate. And it's, uh, it's no wonder why a lot of us, we feel uh, insecure or feel uh, just upset about ourselves. And, and we all know what it feels like to feel inadequate in, in some way. In fact, I want to challenge us today and what we're going to see in God's Word is to recognize that God wants to do something through you. And just like Pastor, or Mr. Phillips said yesterday, or last week, he said that all of us, we have a purpose. We all have something that God wants for each and every one of us to fulfill in order to fulfill his will for our lives. And today what we're going to see is that that purpose is often sometimes the things that we would least expect to happen in our lives. In fact, the main point, what we're going to see throughout all of this, in fact, you can write this down and then leave. You'll get the concept of the message is this, is that God will use your weaknesses for his glory. If you have a handout, go ahead and write that down, that God will use your weaknesses for his glory. That's it. That's the takeaway. But the million dollar question is, like, what does that mean? What does that look like in practice? And today what we're going to do is we're going to look by turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about what that actually means that God will use your weaknesses for his glory. And so if you'll turn there, uh, by the way, I feel like God has strongly put this message on my heart recently. I've used this passage in a couple other contexts lately, but I, I believe the Holy Spirit is just turning us to look at this specifically today. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse 26. If you would stand with me and just honor and reverence for, for God's word, we'll, we'll read verses 26 through 29 of 1 Corinthians 1. Paul writing to the Corinthian church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, and not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Well, we're going to take and unpack these verses in just a moment. In fact, I would uh, encourage you, if you have a bookmark or keep your thumb on the page or something like that, uh, we're going to take and actually turn to the book, uh, uh, the Old Testament for just a moment uh, to kind of help explain this and set the context for this message. I want you to turn with me to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6 to one of my favorite texts, the, the story or, well, really the, the history of Gideon. And maybe you're, you're wondering, what does Judges chapter 6 and Gideon have to do with 1 Corinthians 1. Well, hold on with me. We're going to get there, but trust me, it is important. And so just to give a little context on what we're turning to, the book of Judges is actually a book that is kind of based around the apostasy of the Israelites after they've come out of Egypt and God has delivered them. Um, they go into this basically this cycle that takes place over many, many years that, I mean, the people would be loving God and, and worshiping him, but all of a sudden they would fall away. And because of that, judgment would come on the Israelite people. Normally they'd be taken captive or they would be oppressed by other people groups that God would allow to come in and uh, to do just um, awful things. And eventually, God would send a judge or a person who would be the leader and bring Israelite back to repentance. And people would turn back to God. And because of that, they would go back into God's graces. God would uh, just give peace and prosperity to the people until they fell away again. And this cycle would just continue and continue and continue for the entirety of the book of Judges. And today we're going to be looking at that specifically, that God, has, the people have fallen away and God has taken and oppressed the, other, uh, the Israelites using these people called the Midianites. And this is where we're going to see Gideon come into play. In fact, Judges chapter 6, starting at verse 1, it says, The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian for seven years and they oppressed Israel. Israel. So Midian had become the newest oppressors, and God chose Gideon to be the person responsible for leading the Israelite people back to him. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 11. We're going to read verses 11 through 12. Let's see what it says. It says, The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the oak that was in Oprah. Bet you didn't think you'd be hearing about Oprah from behind the pulpit this morning. But uh, he sat under the oak that was in Oprah, which belonged to Joah, Joash the Abizurite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. All right, so let's stop here for a second. So we see that Gideon here is doing something called threshing wheat, and he's doing it in a wine press. Now, he's not taking in pressing wine in a wine press. He's actually doing something that's kind of silly when you think of it, because a wine press was basically a hole in the ground. It was about this deep, and that people would take and they'd drop their grapes into this wine press. They'd go down into it. they start stomping it, and those, that would be the, the wine that they would take and eventually use for, for drinking. But threshing wheat was something that was actually a very, very messy job. Wheat has kind of like a husk on it, kind of like a corn on the cob or something, and so you have to take and get rid of the husk in order to get to the wheat that is on the inside. And usually this is done over a large area, something that you used to call a 
threshing floor because of how messy it was to get involved. But Gideon was hiding in this wine press because he's so afraid of the Midianites that he's doing something that should be taken this large floor, but doing it in a very small contained area. I'm sure he probably looked very silly with the, the husks all over through him as he's trying to throw the husks out of the hole and get to the wheat that's inside. And he, it must have looked like a complete mess. And the angel, at this point, the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, the Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Now you can take this a couple of different ways. Uh, number one, a lot of people when they're reading this, they interpret this as the angel being prophetic. He knows exactly what's going to happen in the future. And so he's saying that he's calling Gideon the valiant warrior because he's a, going to be a valiant warrior later on. Me, I, I go towards the other impression. I think that God, in some ways, has a little bit of a sense of humor because he goes to Gideon as he's cowering in this hole, probably covered to, uh, head to toe with these wheat husks and says, guess what, good guy, God is going to use you valiant warrior. And so we see that this is Gideon's calling. And so in verse 13, Gideon says to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. Verse 15, he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's family. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Stop there. You notice what Gideon gives, these qualifications for this job that uh, the angel of the Lord is giving to him. He says that he is the, the youngest in the family, that he's in the weakest family in Manasseh. He tries to plead his case and saying to the angel of the Lord, like, listen, you do not want me. I'm surely not the guy that's for the job. He was a nobody, and God was using him to take and to save Israel. Now, what comes next in Judges 6 through 8 is absolutely astounding, and I would challenge you. Um, later on this uh, today or sometime this week to read the rest of Judges chapter 6 through 8. But for time's sake, I, I paraphrase that what Gideon now is facing as the commander of the Israelites is he's faced with this amazing task where he's got to face 100,000 Midianite soldiers. And he's, his side, he has 30,000 Israelites, at least three to one odds. And so Gideon, he has this problem. In fact, he goes to God. And he says, God, we've got an issue here. Um, we, where's the rest of our men? And God is, again, in paraphrasing, he says, yeah, you, you do have a problem. You have too many men. That strikes Gideon as a little bit odd. And through this process of elimination, we go from this, what was a force of 30,000 Israelites down to 300 Israelites facing this army of 100,000 Midianites. And through Judges 6 through 8, we see that the God defeated the Midianites using those 300 Israelites, that it showed that God was fulfilling his promise to the Israelite people and that he was there, and that he, he took care of Israel just as he promised. But what's interesting, and what I want to highlight today, is actually in the beginning of chapter 7. Most of the time in Scripture, we see that God commands people to do specific things. 
but rarely does God actually reveal his own motives. We can inference our, his motives based on what his character is, but most of the time God tells people to do something, they have to do it by stepping out on faith and knowing that God has got a plan, that he's going to be there for them. But in Judges chapter 7 and verse 2, it's one of those rare moments in Scripture that God actually explains what he's thinking and why he's doing something specific. In Judges chapter 7, verse 2, why does the God, uh, God take and limit the forces? The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them, or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say that I saved myself. So why did Gideon limit the number of troops? Because if they were successful, in their pride, they would have bragged about their own strength. And guys, aren't we just like this? I mean, that, the Israelite people would have been like, man, look how strong we are as warriors. Those Midianites, they got nothing on us. We are like so powerful. There's no army in the world that could take and stop us and you know, flex a little bit. But God knows that's what's going to happen. So God makes it abundantly clear. He takes and limits the numbers so that after these 300 are successful, they can't brag about themselves. They can only look back and say, that was crazy. That's amazing what God has done through us. God eliminates the ability for them to brag about themselves. And you know what, guys? He still does that type of work with us today that God uses our weaknesses to make the most of his name. One thing we're going to see is that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. That God will use your weaknesses for his glory. And this is apparent all throughout Scripture. I mean, you see all these giants of our faith, uh, and they all have their own issues and hang-ups. I mean, Abraham was older, and he had these issues with his faith. And Noah ends up getting drunk. Moses, he killed somebody, and he had these speech problems. Uh, Jacob was a liar. David was small and weak, and he was an adulterer. And Paul, who wrote so much of the New Testament, he was actually a persecutor of Christians. He killed Christians. It's almost as if the Bible takes all of these people, these giants of our faith, and shows their weaknesses and their failures to help us see that they were regular people as well and that God used them despite their failures. Now, I need to take and caveat something before we go further. Men specifically, listen to me, it's that God is not, the fact that he's working through our weaknesses does not mean that we are to seek weaknesses out. That we are called as men and as believers in Christ to be strong, to provide for our families, and to set good examples for those coming up behind us. But listen, there is a difference between being strong and hiding our weaknesses. If anything, revealing our struggles, revealing our weaknesses shows strength, strength to, to lead others. It shows that those weaknesses do not have the hold over us that they have. And if anything, men, let me say, be strong, lead well, but don't pretend to be strong in areas that God could be wanting to use your weakness. Now, to everybody else, the question is for us, in what areas of our life do we feel most insecure or inadequate? Could God be using those things in our life for his purposes? And so in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, I'll read it again. It says, 
Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. From this passage, what we see is that there are five types of people that God is looking to use. The foolish, the weak, the insignificant, the despised, and those that are viewed as nothing. And in your handout, I've taken the liberty of calling this God's most wanted list. These are the people in Scripture that we see God uses the most. And starting off, number one, is that God uses those who don't feel smart enough. God uses those who don't feel smart enough. In fact, this uh, scripture in the Greek, there's this word called mora. It's uh, where we get our Greek word moron. It means simple or uh, unwise um, or without wisdom. And the good thing is that maybe you don't feel like you are the uh, smart one. That's, um, you don't feel like the brightest bulb in the pack. Well, congratulations. God says that he is going to use you to shame the wise. Now, this doesn't mean that we should take and we shouldn't grow in our learning or our maturity as individuals. It's actually quite the opposite. I mean, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. And in the book of Proverbs, it's all over the place. Proverbs 10:17 specifically says, the one who follows instruction is on the path to life, but the one who rejects correction goes astray. So we should strive for wisdom. However, God and can and most definitely will use those people who don't feel like they're the smartest. And the second thing we see is that God uses those people who don't feel strong enough. What I mean by strong, I'm talking specifically about our, our physical conditions. Many of us uh, are struggling with health issues, or maybe we'll, we'll never make it to that magazine GQ, but it, it doesn't matter. In fact, what we see in, through the life of David, if the life of David teaches us anything, is that God will take and use uh, those candidates which other people would not take and see uh, based on their physical appearance. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 6, Samuel, he goes out on this mission to go find a new king for Israel, and he looks amongst the sons of Jesse, where, uh, David's father. And the first thing, the first person that he sees is this, uh, Jesse's oldest. His name's Eliab. And Eliab looks like this contestant from The Bachelor. I mean, he's got everything. He's got the height. He's got the looks. He's got it all. But God says, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, says, do not consider his appearance or his stature, for I have rejected him. So Samuel, he goes through the seven other sons of Jesse, no avail. And he asked Jesse, he's like, well, is anybody else, anybody else that we could choose from? And Jesse, almost dismissively, he says, well, there he, there's the youngest. He's out tending to the sheep right now. I mean, we can grab him if you really want. And when Samuel sees David, he asks God, are you sure about this one? And God replies, humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. So why did God choose David? Are you getting the picture? Like in case uh, we see that God takes and puts more into us than what other people can see around us. That he doesn't base his merit on our physical appearance. And the third thing that we see through the scripture is that God uses those who don't feel sophisticated. It's number three. God uses those who don't feel sophisticated. 
meaning the, the insignificant ones or the ones that feel inconsequential. Listen, God loves using you. He can use the celebrities. He can use the PhDs. He can use the millionaires, the people that have all these resources. But more often than not, what we see through Scripture is that God has difficulty using these types of people because of the pride that they have in their lives. If anything, if you don't feel significant, God may be wanting to use you more than any others because it shows a level of humility. In fact, 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7 says this, he says, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your cares on him because he cares about you. I mean, you may be thinking, are you here today? Is that, it, I mean, God can't use me. I'm, I'm just a nobody. I'm here in the middle of this giant metropolitan Kissimmee, St. Cloud area. I don't have very much to offer him. I'm just another member of the crowd. Well, well, God is, again, I'm paraphrasing, but he's saying to us that that's the point. We're called to stay humble, and that he will get the glory for what's done and will exalt us in due time. Fourthly, we see that God uses those who don't feel accepted. God uses those who don't feel accepted. And the word that 1 Corinthians 26 through 29 says is despised. And this word refers to those people that the world laughs or mocks at. Those are the made fun of ones, uh, like the social outcasts or the misfit toys. Listen, it is hard to be a member of this group. But hear me, God can and does still use you. One of the things we see this from is in Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. This is like, the, this is the only miracle that is in all four Gospels. And you can read about it in Matthew chapter 14. This little boy brings his, his personal lunch before Jesus, and Jesus transforms it into something amazing and miraculous. Even though this guy was just a kid. I mean, kids during this culture, this environment, were, I mean, they're very substandard as individuals. I mean, they're better seen and not heard, uh, as we can take, we explain it, but, but still the resources that this boy had were valuable because he offered them to Jesus. And listen, don't insult God by thinking that you are too insignificant to be used by him. He could have used Peter. He could have used John. He could have used any one of the wealthy merchants there in the area. He could have found the means to actually feed these people with normal means. But he chose to use this boy, his lunch, when he gave everything that he had. Remember that Jesus would often sit with the tax collectors, the, the lepers, and, and the sinners. I mean, he was the lover of the outcast. And God can and does use those people, those misfit toys. And what we see, number five, is that God uses those who don't feel significant. God uses those who don't feel significant. These last types of people are the, the are-nots, the people who feel like they don't even make the list, maybe the ones that feel invisible in a crowd like this and feel like nobody notices them or really cares. Listen, your limitations, they're not a prohibition to God using you but they're a platform that God can be shown. 
In fact, Paul again, writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. I mean, you see it right here in this verse. God will use your weaknesses for his glory. If you say that you're nothing and that you don't matter, it's more than just false humility. It is rebellion against God's desire to work through weak vessels. Understand that. God doesn't make junk. And those vessels, those pots that are cracked and broken, are the ones that he most often uses for his glory. And so many of us, as we've gone through this list, may identify with one or more of them. However, let me just say to those of you that have, have gone through uh, this list and you're like, uh, none of those really characterize me. I mean, I feel like I've got it pretty well together, that I've arrived. Let me just give one warning. Remember that we have not arrived at a perfect vision of ourselves this side of eternity. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride comes before destruction, and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Listen, feeling that we should be used by God because of our qualifications or what we bring the table, bring to the table, it's a very dangerous place to be. Do not allow yourself, be careful to not allow yourself to become a Pharisee. But out of these five descriptions, the, the foolish, the weak, the insignificant, the despised, those viewed as nothing, I mean, one of us, we probably identify with one or more of those. Is Satan using those things to keep you down and out by, used by being used by God for his glory? So I'll, I'll tell you mine, just kind of being open, that I feel like I identify most with number three. That God uses those who don't feel sophisticated. I feel pretty basic, personally. Just being open and honest, that I feel like God has given me the ability to be good at a lot of things, but not great or a master of any of them. And what I've learned through this is that God will take and use you not only in spite of your insecurities, but often those places that you feel most insecure. For example, public speaking, I'll be honest, is my nightmare. I hate getting up in front of a ton of people and, and, and just speaking in general. And you're like, well, that's a good place for you to be right now. Um, but it, it's true. Is that just watch whenever I get up and do announcements on a Sunday morning or something. I'm just out of my element. I, it scares me to this day. But you know what? At the same time, I love preaching and teaching from God's Word. And I honestly believe that God empowers me to do this because is, in a sense, using one of my insecurities, my biggest insecurities, to take and make most of his name. And uh, I didn't, wasn't going to, um, didn't tell them about this, that I was going to use them, but, but another example is, I was so grateful for Jenna and Scott's testimony just a couple of weeks ago. You see, Jenna shared her testimony about struggling through mental illness and, uh, with Scott, and it's something that nobody wants to admit to. But we had a flood of people who, through social media and calling our church, were there to say that they struggle in the same areas. And they're so grateful for her and her strength to come out and tell people this. And they revealed their weaknesses. People were helped, and God was glorified because of it. It was absolutely amazing. 
You see, the amount that you take and depend on yourself and what you can do is the amount that you limit God working in your life. For those of you that say, like, I could never do something like that, or um, I could never share those things that I'm insecure or feel like are weakness to me, you know what? You're 100% right. You can't do it on your own, but you can the Holy Spirit's power that resides in you. That's the meaning of Philippians 4.19, that I can do all things that Christ, Christ that strengthens me. It means that we can take and that God's strength is revealed in our weaknesses. So, what are your feelings of inadequacy? Give them to Jesus. Remember, anything that you give can be transformed by him. And I'll, I'll take and close my time with this little analogy. My dad, I love my dad. He uh, is one of those guys that can take and fix absolutely anything. And I remember when I was younger, you know, in my early, uh, my teenage adolescent years that he would take and he would want me to come out to uh, the yard in order to help him with a car or a mobile home or something like that. And he had a shop out in the back. And I recognize now that he was trying to teach me um, some of those things so I could use them later on in the future. But uh, this was back when I was a young teenager. I already knew everything. So I didn't need him to teach me. And uh, so I really didn't pay attention to my paying. I'm paying for it now. But I remember being with him a lot of times and he'd be working under a car. He'd be like in some compromised position. Position, and uh, he'd tell me, Brian, I need you to go to the shed. I need you to take and get the toolbox, third drawer down. I need you to find the orange pliers. Now go. Okay, orange pliers, orange pliers, orange pliers. And I'm like, I'm going off to the, the drawer. And oftentimes I'd find them, but more often than not, I'd be looking around forever. I'd look at the third drawer and ah, I don't see anything. And I'd look around and couldn't find it. And now I have the the, I mean, undesirable task of going back to my father and saying, Dad, I couldn't find the tool, and um, maybe you might have to find it yourself, and that's, that's not a place you want to be, and so I, I often would take it, I'd go up to him and say, Dad, I couldn't find it, and again, more often than not, he'd sit there and he'd look at me and he'd go, uh, that's all right, son. Uh, I don't need the tool anymore. I uh, got it by using the screwdriver that I had. I'm going, what? Why would you do that? Like, I was, I was looking the whole time. If you could have used the screwdriver, why couldn't you just have done that in the first place? Like, why did you have me looking all over the place for it? You know, he is saying, like, what he would do after kind of saying that he took care of it is he'd explain to me. He'd say, well, that tool that I was, had you looking for would have been the perfect tool for the job. It's the thing that I needed, but I used the screwdriver because it was what I had close to me. It's, a, it's amazing that in the same way, God uses those of us that are close to him. The ones that do not have all the qualifications for the job, that aren't the best tool for whatever it is that he's trying to do, but the ones that are willing to, no matter how insignificant they feel, to be used 100% by him. And so I'm going to pray, and uh, it's going to be an invitation, and I've got two challenges for you. Is that number one, maybe you're here and you recognize that God has a purpose and a plan for you, but you've never given your life to him. You've never taken and prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of all of your sins and made him your Lord from this day forward. A beautiful thing that you need to hear today is that even though the world is broken and even though sin has corrupted us and, and we are such in need of forgiveness from God that God has provided a way for us to have just that. 
that because what Jesus has done, because he came, he lived a perfect life, he sacrificed himself on the cross, and he rose again three days later, proving he was who he said he was, that we can take and be adopted into God's family, that we can be used by him for his purposes and have an eternal home with him one day. To accept that, all we have to do is ask or pray and ask forgiveness for our sins and make him the Lord of our life. And he adopts us into our, his family and then we have an internal purpose for the rest of our lives. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe today is that day where you're going to give your life to Christ. But also, for those of us who have done that, we are Christians in the room. What are those things that you're not giving to God that are weaknesses or insufficiencies? Because it's one thing to, to go to God and say, these are all the things I'm good at. These are my strengths. Use these however you want to. I'm going to tuck these other things away and uh, just pretend that they don't exist. Could God be wanting to use your weaknesses or insufficiencies in a way that glorifies him? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for that salvation that we hold in Jesus and that, Lord, you use broken pots to do your work in this world for your kingdom. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here that just is not adopted into your family, that today would be the day they would say just something simple like this. They'd say, God, I recognize that I've messed up, that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus, he came, he died, he rose again, that he really was the son of God. And that from this day forward, I ask him to forgive me and I want to make him the boss, the Lord of my life. I pray that if there's anybody here that just said a prayer that's something like that. They reach out to one of our pastors or people here and, and that we can share with them what it means to follow you and show them the next steps. But, but also I pray for us Christians in the room. That, Lord, you would just encourage us. Even when we feel like we don't have it all together, most often it's that moment that you choose to use us for your glory. Help us to be convicted and give you everything that we have, remembering that you use our weaknesses for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.